You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. This is Bible teacher Nelson Walters, and today we're going to discuss a unique but very controversial idea. Did the year used to be 360 days long instead of 365? And will end time years become 360 days long again? Or even if those things aren't true, is there such a thing as a 360-day prophetic year? These are very popular ideas in Bible prophecy. And thinking the year may have been shorter historically than it is now, is certainly an interesting idea. It would mean that either the Earth moved faster in its trip around the Sun, or that its orbital path was closer to the Sun back then, thus requiring fewer days to travel. And we're going to discuss these ideas later in this teaching. Related to this idea is the concept that a year in God's prophetic calendar is only 360 days long and not 365. 19th century scholar Sir Robert Anderson even developed a theory that based on this so-called prophetic year, he predicted the date Jesus' ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday would take place, in his words, down to the day. Completely amazing, but is it true? We're going to discuss this later in today's video as well, but we need to know some facts before we discuss these things. First, a year is the time it takes the earth to go around the sun. It's currently 365 and a quarter days. As you probably know, every four years, we have to accommodate this extra quarter of a day by having a leap year, where we add a day uh, and have a 366-day year. This keeps the year consistent with the seasons. Okay, second thing, what's a month? It's the time the moon goes around the Earth, currently 29 and a half days. You may be surprised to learn there really aren't 12 equal months in a year. 12 equal months would only be 354 days, not 365 or even 360 for that matter. One interesting to know fact about a 360-day year, however, is that it's been theorized that if the Earth traveled faster around the Sun so that the year was only 360 days, the full moon to full moon or a month would be longer to catch up, so to speak, with the faster Earth. Months might equal 30 days each, and that is a very attractive part of that 360-day year theory. You also may be aware that the current Hebrew calendar is a completely lunar calendar, where each new month begins with a new moon. This makes the months either 29 or 30 days long, and the average Hebraic year is 354 days long. However, as you can guess, They couldn't do that for very long without the seasons being completely out of whack. So every year, two or three in this type of calendar, they have to have a leap month. Rabbis came up with a complicated formula where they would add a leap month. Like we said, not a day, but a whole month every couple years. In a Jewish leap year, the extra month is added after the month of Shavat and before the month of Adar. It's called Adar Aleph. Adar Rishon, or Adar 1. The month of Adar, then, is referred to as Adar Bet, or Adar 2. 
The Jewish calendar has seven leap years every 19 years. So the current Jewish calendar has like a 19-year cycle. Because of this, most Jewish years have a completely different number of days. Some 353, 354, 355, 383, 384, 385. Complex, isn't it? So now we know these basic facts about today's calendars. Where did the idea of a 360-day calendar come from? Many ancient calendars appear to have had a year that was 360 days long. You may know the Mayan had one of these, the Chinese, the Sumerian. In fact, almost all ancient calendars appear to be 360 days long. Why did they go from this length of year to the current 365-day calendar? Was at that time, did it actually take only 360 days for the Earth to circle the sun? And if so, will the year become 360 days long again? These are very difficult questions. The book of Revelation and Daniel indicate a number of time periods in days that are easily divisible by 30. 1,260 days, 1,290, 150 days. Numbers that seem to suggest a month could have been 30 days long in the past and could be again in the future. As we said, the actual time it takes the moon to circle the earth is only 29.5. So this difference is a major reason why something God himself uses a 360-day calendar and something known as a prophetic year when he was giving out prophecy. As we stated previously, the British 19th century theologian Sir Robert Anderson theorized that from Nisan 1 in 445 B.C., to Palm Sunday of 32 AD, it was exactly 483 years if the years were these 360-day-long prophetic years. His calculation was approximately 173,000 days. That is a big number. But why does this matter to anyone except a mathematician? And the answer is because that time happens to be 69 years time that could be considered the first 69 years of Daniel's 70 weeks. Ah, that makes it matter, doesn't it? We'll explain this later in the video. But before we go any further, given such highly important issues, the timing of both the past and the future, and whether the year is going to shorten, we need to discuss a potential alternative to why prophecy is given in 30-day increments. The answer is the current Jewish calendar, the one we just discussed that was so complex, isn't the only calendar that was used in Jewish history. It was established around 135 AD with a document called the Seder Elam. Prior to that, there was another calendar used at the time of Jesus, and it was a solar-based calendar. I call this other calendar the Dead Sea Scroll calendar because it was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls and was used by the ancient sect, the Essenes. Some call it the Enoch calendar because a similar calendar is mentioned in that book. This calendar happens to have 30-day months. And that's what makes me think the biblical answer of why prophetic events are evenly divided in 30 may have something to do with this calendar and not with a prophetic year or a 360-day year. This calendar actually had 364 days in an average year, with 12 months of 30 days, that's 360 days, and 
four extra days, four holidays that occurred at the turn of the seasons, at the equinoxes and the solstices, four special days called Tukufas, something like our modern Thanksgivings. People took the day off, spent the day with family, and had a feast. According to the Book of Jubilees, Noah established these four days. They are also mentioned in the Talmud, the writings of the rabbis. Then, once every seven years, they had to make the seasons match again, and they had a leap year to keep the calendar equivalent with the seasons. But instead of a day, as we currently do, they added an entire week of seven days in their leap year. But this was much less than the month that the Jewish leap years add. Now, I'm only guessing, but if these four days weren't counted as, quote, days in prophecy, and only monthly days were, this would account for prophecies having 30-day months and 360 days per year. It would make an accounting issue, not a real issue, because we're talking about accounting practices that are 1,900 years old. I mean, who really knows? But this is a much simpler way of understanding this issue than the speeding up of the earth or a change in its orbit around the sun. But we do need to look at scientific and historic issues about those things also. But before we begin to look at those aspects, a quick shout out to Scott Harrell, who is a good friend of mine and a longtime member of this community who gave us the idea for this video. Also to Fisherman, a member of our advisory team. Now, let's start with the history of the calendar. Whether or not there ever was a 360-day year in the ancient world, there certainly were 360-day-long calendars. Is this why a circle has 360 degrees? Was this created to mimic the time the Earth went around the sun? 360 is easily divisible by two equinoxes, two solstices, four seasons, 12 months, 24 hours in a day, 60 minutes in an hour, 60 seconds in a minute, 24 time zones, etc., etc. Consider our comfort using 12 inches in a foot, 36 inches in a yard. All these time and measurement amounts are divisible into 360, but not 365. So, what ancient cultures had 360-day calendars? We already said the Mayan calendar, and it had 144,000 days, or exactly 400 360-day years. In this big group of years, that they called a bactum. The Egyptian calendar had a 360-day year with five additional days added at the end. That's more like the Enoch calendar. In India, all ancient Vitek scriptures speak uniformly of a year of 360 days and 12 months of 30 days. In ancient Sumer, the calendar was 360 days with 30-day months. Even the numbering system in Sumer was based on 60, not on 10 like ours. In fact, today, the Ethiopian calendar still has a 30-day month and adds five days at the end, much like the old Egyptian calendars. I have missionary friends that I support in Ethiopia that run an orphanage there, and I was shocked to find this out. So we can be pretty certain, at least in ancient history, there was a 360-day calendar with or without four or five days added on. Did they copy the Noah calendar? the one in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Most likely they did, since everyone descended from him. And we can also be pretty sure that it was changed for some reason to what we have today. But why did it change? 
Did the orbit of the earth or the speed of the earth change? Or did only the calendar change? Now, one idea floating around prophecy circles is that the speed of the earth's orbit did change and that the earth slowed down, creating a longer year. In Isaiah 38, it tells us about King Hezekiah of Judah, a man near death, who was told by Isaiah to put his house in order because God told Isaiah that Hezekiah would die. Hezekiah prayed to God and God told Isaiah that he had heard Hezekiah's prayer and would add 15 years of life and would give Hezekiah a sign that this would happen. Behold, I will bring the shadow and the sundial of Ahaz 10 degrees backwards so the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial by which it had gone down and that's Isaiah 38.8. The story is repeated in 2 Kings 20. So the idea is God moved the earth and by this action, either by using gravitation or another planet or supernatural means, he changed time. Now, a second idea was suggested by Dr. Walt Brown that large ice deposits melted in the days of the global flood, increasing the circumference of the earth, which would cause the speed of the earth to slow down. However, the vast majority opinion is that the length of a year never changed. The majority of scholars agree no Bible passages explicitly tell us the year was originally 360 days long. And this is a very key point. Amos 3.7 tells us God does nothing without first informing his prophets. No Bible passages or even apocryphal book claims a shorter length of a year. Rather, people have only inferred this from passages that we stated. However, those passages do not demand that the original year was 360 days long, they can easily be understood otherwise. Either the prophetic passages simply refer to numbers that approximate a month, or they're referring to the Dead Sea Scroll calendar that did have 30-day months. Now, our financial institutions today use that approximate month idea. They frequently give financial terms in terms of 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 180 days. None of these amounts are exact months. Rather, they're numbers that are easily understood approximations of one, two, six months, etc. No one alive today actually thinks 90 days is three months. It's only about three months. There is even physical evidence against a shorter 360-day year. A number of ancient monuments track the solstices. The most famous is Stonehenge, which is about 4,000 years old. A study in the Journal of Antiquities shows that the largest stones in Stonehenge embody a solar calendar of 365 and a quarter days, the same one that we have in our modern calendar. To this ministry, that pretty much rules out that there ever was a 360-day year in the past, and there are several other ancient sites that have monuments perfectly aligned with 365 and a quarter days as well. Machu Picchu in Peru. Mayan sites in Central America, and the Sphinx and Great Pyramid in Egypt. And what's significant about this is if you didn't notice, those are the same societies. The ones that have those monuments with 365 and a quarter day years that also use 360 day calendars. So this is proof to us of what's happening in the real world in terms of the length of a year measured in solstices and that it might have differed from their calendars. The calendars may not have been correct, or they did something special in terms of leap years that we don't know about. So since there's no historic or scientific evidence for a shorter year, 
It's our ministry's opinion we shouldn't base our prophetic theories on some kind of 360-day year or the concept of a prophetic year. Now, we realize when we say this, we are taking on a lot of sacred cows. First, are the obvious references in Revelation and Daniel to specific day counts in the tribulation or 70th week that seem to fit a 360-day year. Some have theorized the earth will return to this 360-day year, and these will be fulfilled. But if you look at the events associated with those day counts, they don't require a shorter year. They simply may be a reference to the old Dead Sea Scroll calendar, like we said. Or they could just be day counts, 1260 days that isn't exactly three and a half years. Now, the other sacred cow that this impacts is even bigger. Sir Robert Anderson's famous calculation using the supposed prophetic year of 360 days. Remember, there is no evidence in the Bible or even apocryphal literature to use a 360-day year. God never told us to use this calculation. So my first question is, why are we? Well, for two reasons. First, because the calculation appears to be pretty amazing at first glance. I mean, it involves 173,000 days. Seems very impressive until you really look at it. Second, it's used as evidence for the Messiahship of Jesus. People use this particular proof in evangelism. And there are a lot of folks who don't want to give that up easy either. So I understand all of that. But after you see the rest of this video, I think you'll agree you're going to want to give it up. So what's the calculation? Anderson worked for Scotland Yard in the 1800s. He was a well-known Christian and friends with many well-known Christians like Schofield, the notorious writer of the Schofield Bible. He attempted to figure out the challenging mathematics of Daniel's 70th week from Daniel 9, which gives the timeline to the first coming of Jesus, and that's why Anderson is famous. Here it is. Now understand, therefore, that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, and the streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. Daniel 7.25 this calculation has been a thorn in the side and a mystery for church scholars for centuries. Anderson had an idea, but he's only one of hundreds of ideas about what this meant. And we're going to see that his idea was flawed. Daniel 9.25 is a timeline. All calculations have to pick a starting point, an ending point, and how many days in between. Anderson picked March 14, 1445 BC as the starting point which he assumed was the writing of letters from a Persian king, Artaxerxes, to Nehemiah to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem as detailed in Nehemiah 2, 1-8. And as for the end point, he picked the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. He chose the year 32 AD for that event, and the time in between, he picked 483 years of 360 days each, and each assumption has a problem with it. Here's Anderson's own account from his book. The Julian date of that 10th of Nisan was Sunday, the 6th of April. And what was that length of the period intervening between the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the public event of Messiah the Prince between 14th March 445 BC and 6th April 32 AD? 
interval contained exactly, to the very day, 173,880 days, or seven times 69 prophetic years of 360 days, the first 69 weeks of Gabriel's prophecy. End of quote. So, the three things to consider. Anderson was correct about all three things, and he had to be right about all three. Start date, end date, and the use of a 360-day year. Then he might have been correct. If he was wrong about even one of them, all of them are going to be wrong, as you're going to see. This is just not a valid explanation of the 69 weeks. Now, in regard to the starting date, Anderson picked March 14, 445 B.C., and this was Idar 24 on the Hebrew calendar. Nehemiah told us this event actually happened in the month of Nisan, so Anderson's theory should be ruled out right there. Second, the book of Nehemiah never actually gave us an exact date like Nisan 1 that Anderson assumed March 14th was. Nehemiah just said the event happened in Nisan. Could have been any day in that month. Second, in regard to the ending date, this is even more significant. Anderson chose AD 32, and that just doesn't work for a crucifixion year of Jesus, according to John 12, Jesus rode into Jerusalem four days before Passover on Nisan 10, Lamb Selection Day. Unfortunately, the date Anderson picked was April 6th, and that was actually Nisan 7 that year, not the 10th as he thought, and it was a full eight days before Passover. And this is even more important, Passover, Nisan 14 in AD 32, was a Monday. And it is one of the years that is absolutely impossible to be a crucifixion year. Again, based on this, Anderson's theory just has to be thrown out. Then, probably just as great a problem was the use of the 360-day year as we've shown. There likely is no such thing. It's not in the Bible. We know from Amos 3 that God does nothing without announcing it to his holy prophets. So Anderson got all three aspects of his calculation wrong. Start date, the end date, and the days in between. So this has been Bible teacher Nelson Walters. More of my teachings are available on the Nelson Walters channel, youtube.com slash Nelson Walters. And I'm sorry if we burst a few bubbles for you today, but it's important to know what is and what isn't true interpretation of Bible prophecy. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.